Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast. Each week you'll be able to check in for our messages from Sunday and other material. We hope that our messages encourage you in your walk and daily faith with Jesus. Make sure to check out our website, BethelStratford.org. How many of you ever been to the zoo? Anybody? A few people been to the zoo? We've kind of had this tradition the last few years. We missed it this summer, but we usually take our kids every year to the zoo. And I don't know about you, but there's certain animals. How many people have like their favorite animals? Right? Okay, so throw us some favorite animals. The sloth. <laughs> bears. Polar bears. Giraffe. Tiger. Zebra. This side's killing you. Come on, guys. Cheetah. Elephants. I heard you say sloth already. Snail, come on. The witch? Warhogs? Yes. Pumba. Um, how many people know, like, you can walk through and almost for every elephant you can name a movie, or not elephant, every animal you can name a movie, right? Um, and so one of my favorites to see is the rhinoceros. I think they're just incredible animals, and I tell Emma every time it's an overweight unicorn. <laughs> so Now you'll never look at a rhino the same again. Um, but it's just amazing all the different animals that God created. And some of them, truthfully, I don't even know their purpose besides amazement to look at. And I just think they're incredible animals. But it's interesting. How many people know that when you go to the zoo, you're not really seeing them in the wild? Right? Like there's, there's a difference when you go to the time where the zookeeper comes and explains everything and they might throw some food in and there's a difference between seeing a lion grab a piece of raw meat that the zookeeper threw into it and there's a difference between that and watching the Discovery Channel, right? Right? Like how many people, I won't ask you to admit that you watch the Discovery Channel just to watch a lion like just destroy the zebra. Um, But there's something about the circle of life and I won't sing that but there's something about it, right? Like, how many people, when you hear the circle of life, you automatically envision like, um, <laughs> sorry. Um, but it's so true, like when you watch us, I remember we were down by the Jaguars and we were watching the Jaguars and one of the zookeepers was there and she just kind of came out of the back door and I was like kind of looking in, I'm like, I think I could walk right in there. Um, but don't worry, there's still a cage separating you. And I asked her, I said, okay, can you just answer a question for me? You have been, how long have you been looking after the Jaguars? And I forget how many years she said she was looking after them. I said, so with you, are they still wild or are they more like, are they kind of like more like a pet now? And she's like, oh no, they're fully wild. And I'm like, okay. And so it kind of made me go, okay, they're fully wild in our minds, right? Like you're not going to go in and be like, oh, let's cuddle. But will this thing survive in the wild, right? Like those are two different scales. Those are two different ideas of this animal will still rip my arm off, but would it survive in the wild against other animals? And I don't know about you, but the book I'm reading by Francis Chen, uh, he, in one of the chapters, he starts talking about the church, and he, re- he re- uh, re- refers to the church as a zoo, and not that we're all animals, don't worry about that. But what he's talking about is he refers to, how many people have seen Madagascar? 
right? Right? If we're all honest, we've all seen it, and we're all hoping they release another one, and we're all excited, and nobody, like, this is, I have kids, and so I watch a lot of animated movies, so when they make a new one that I know is good, you're kind of excited about it, right? You're like, oh, I don't have to watch the first one for the thousandth time. Um, And so, in this movie, um, the one, the zebra, Marty, he constantly is dreaming about the wild. He's in the zoo and everybody's there. They're all excited to see Alex the lion and all these things. But Marty is like, he's running on his treadmill and there we go. Um, That's not Madagascar. Do I have a photo of Madagascar? No, I forgot to put that in. That's my bad. I've had some technical challenges this week. Um, But so Marty is the zebra and he's literally, they show him, I think he's running on a treadmill. And he's running on a treadmill. By the way, Jay, I'm not pointing you out, but great idea with the dog in the rain, man. That was awesome. Jay had his dog walking on the treadmill when it was pouring rain for those couple of days. And it's like, man, my dog is spinning. It's like, um, and good for you to actually walk with him. I probably would have just like tied the leash and sat beside him. Um, but so Marty's like running on this treadmill and he just sees the wild. And he sees like, you know, the movies where they're running through the grass and he sees all this kind of stuff. And so he's just dreaming of the wild, right? There we go. See, that's why I hired you. Because he can find cartoon pictures fast. Um, so Marty's the zebra. If you haven't watched this, I watched, like Netflix is going to go crazy this afternoon. So Marty's the zebra, and he's just dreaming of this. And then something happens that they get, like, shipped off to another zoo, and they crash on, at Madagascar. So now they're in the wild. And it's amazing because all of a sudden, this excitement for the wild becomes a reality that they're in the wild. And so it shows him now, he's running through this green meadow like he was dreaming of. And the next thing you know, Alex, the lion, his natural wild instinct takes over. And it shows him biting Marty right in the backside. And all of a sudden, Marty realizes, I don't like the wild. And so there's this fight, and Alex is like, wait a minute, I don't eat Marty. And so there's all this confusion. And so we as a church, I think there's so many times where we get comfortable in what Francis Chaney refers to the church as a zoo, when we are actually called for so much more. Marty realizes he has been made for more. And as he's made for more, he desires for more. He wants to get out. He realizes as much as, like, at the zoo, you can see them run a little bit, but you know they have so much space to go. And I think, it's, um, I think it's incredible to go and see these animals. But I don't know, there's something about, I'd love to get to Africa and see some of them in like their natural habitat. And just, you know, I don't know, to be on one of those vehicles and have a rhino charging it and everybody freaking out and you're driving away fast, like it's just exciting for me. Um, it's like driving in Toronto. Um, and so Francis Chan, in his book, he says this on page 152. He says, you've been a faithful member of your church, but you keep feeling like you were made for something more. And I don't know about you, but there's a part of us that we know deep down there is more to this walk with God. If our walk with God is purely coming here on a Sunday morning and coming here and just sitting here and worshiping God and then going home, can I be honest with you? I don't want it. I don't want it. 
Some of you may be comfortable with it, but I don't want it. I believe God created me for more than coming here on Sunday mornings and speaking to you for 35 minutes. I know some of you will time like you never talk for 35 minutes. I'm trying. But there are so many of us that we know we've been made for more than this. And God didn't design it for us just to be coming on a Sunday morning, worshiping him for a little bit, and then leaving. That's not what he designed. He designed us for more. He created us for more. Acts 5, starting at verse 14, says this. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believe in the Lord, and they were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered so also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, that you have created us for more than this. That, Father, you didn't design us just to come and spend a little bit of time with you. But, Father, you created us for a relationship for you, with you, Lord. And I just pray this morning that you open our ears and open our hearts to hear from you this morning. Hide me behind your cross, Lord. Let my words be your words. And, Father, let us leave here challenged and changed this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. What if as we read these scripture verses, we believe they're meant to happen again today? What if you read this and go, crowds gathered also from the towns around Stratford, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Do you believe that just like Peter, you could walk and somebody just wanted to get near your shadow because if they got near your shadow, that you, they would be healed? What if the Bible is actually real? See, that got some of your attention. Oh, wait a second. Does he question it? Not at all. But my question for you this morning is, why do your heads perk up and your ears perk up when I say, what if this is telling the truth? But when I talk about the truth, we don't perk up. We were made for more. Jesus didn't say it's better for me to go and for the Holy Spirit to come so that you could come and spend an hour and a half in church, maybe two hours. He did it so that you could walk every day of your life with the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that you could walk in that power and in that strength and in that boldness, and that you could lay hands on the sick and they will be healed. You. You. See, a lot of times we look at different pastors, we look at different preachers, we look at different ministers that have a healing anointing, that have a prophetic anointing, that have a ministry, and we, like, we just go, oh, see, that's, that's them. But we don't realize that the same spirit that lives in them lives in you. So everything that they do that you admire, you can do. The difference usually is their history with God, how much time they've spent with him, how much time they've journeyed with him. And we'll get into the struggles that we walk in. I just honestly, I look at this and I'm like, his shadow would heal people. 
And it baffles me to try to figure out in my own personal life, when I pray for somebody who's sick, when I read the scriptures, and so many times in the scriptures, it ends with, and some of them were healed. Oh, see, it says all. And if you do a word study on the word all, it actually means all. And so I want to challenge you that if God is still the same, then maybe it's me. And by maybe, it's me. Acts 2, 41 says, those who accept his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 in one day accepted Jesus and were baptized. People ask me about baptism, and we're going to have one coming up, but people always ask me immediately, well, are we going to have a baptism class? Uh, sure. I don't really see it here. Accepted Jesus? Jump in. We have classes for everything, but no volunteers for them. Maybe we're classed out. Maybe we just need to volunteer. Do you know the disciples were the uneducated ones? Do you understand that by them working, like by them being fishermen and tax collectors, they already had their profession, which means all these young boys who were supposed to learn the Torah knew it by memory. They weren't good enough to be disciples of the rabbis of that day. Jesus took the outcasts and changed the world. Well, Chad, what degree do you have? Eh, diploma. I won't tell you my great average. Just thank God for the anointing. My mom's right here with us today, so she could tell you about my great average. She prayed a lot. She's just nodding. She knows. Acts 2, 46 to 47 says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 3,000 in one day and added daily, daily, daily. Man, I wait for the day that you constantly email the church saying, I just want you to know both my neighbors got saved today. Pray the salvation prayer. In my driveways were shoveling. I was a little bit late for work. I hope I don't lose my job. What caught their attention was I was shoveling their driveway. Do you realize that we can lead people to Jesus in other places than this room? Do you realize that you can say the sinner's prayer with them just as easily as I can? And that's actually what God wants. He actually wants us to come together as a church and equip and empower one another so that we can go and do that. I want to challenge you that if you haven't shared the gospel with somebody in the last, I'll give you a span, six months. Are you serving the Lord? 
Oh, Chad, I read my Bible. You don't understand my devotional life. You don't understand my passion for him. His dying words, not his dying words, sorry, his last words before he left, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. I believe a disciple of God makes disciples. So if I'm not making disciples, am I actually a disciple of God? Scriptures tell me they'll know us by our fruit. They added daily. Acts 19, 11, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had, t- had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. Do you know it's not crazy to pray over a piece of material and send it so that it could touch a sick person? Do you know that? But how often do we critique and criticize? Well, I wouldn't, I don't think they should do it that way. At least they're doing it. Mark Dristol said one time, he said, we criticize all the people that are doing it by the way they do it, but we never criticize the ones that aren't doing it. I'm cautious to talk any negativity about another ministry or another pastor or another leader the way they do ministry. You want to know why? Because maybe they're doing it better. And let's be honest, most of the ones we criticize are the ones that have large churches that are doing things, that are having so many salvations. And you can criticize and you can think about their follow-up and all that kind of stuff. And I had a mentor tell me this one time. He said, Chad, we're talking about one minister, and he said, that minister has recorded over a million salvations. If you get a tenth of that, then maybe you can say something. We criticize, but we don't criticize those that are doing nothing. When I read these things and what the early church did, I'm so blown away. And I go back to the beginning of this book when Francis Chan says, if you were stuck on a deserted island and all that you had was the Bible and you've never read it before, you've never seen the church before, and you read the Bible of what the church was supposed to look like and you came back to North America, would you recognize the church? Just read through the book of Acts and tell me if we do that. Tell me if that's who we are. Francis Chan, he says, it's up on the screen, page 155, he says, when the Bible describes the power available to you, does it sound like a hypothesis? I messed that up, I tried, I listened to it a few times, sorry. It seems so extreme Yet we see so little of this in our own lives and in the church. The discrepancy could challenge your faith in the scriptures. Have you ever thought? See, we don't ever want to talk about questioning the scriptures, but does my life show the power of the scriptures? How can I tell people about the power of God if I don't show them the power of God? How many people know, I see some guys in the room, and you remember the old American muscle cars? You can't talk about the power of your car unless you're ready to put the, floor, put the pedal to the floor. Well, my car has this much horsepower. Well, let's see. Oh, no, no, I don't want to push it. Huh. Right? I see most of the men laughing in the room because that would be your response. 
But yet we talk about the power of God, and then when we say, well, let's pray for this, and we're like, well, let's be a little cautious. No. What God is doing in other countries, he wants to do in North America. We're just not desperate enough. We're not passionate enough. Because I can go to the doctor and see if he'll fix it. And let's be honest, if the medical doctor can't do it, maybe the chiropractor can do it. If he can't do it, maybe the naturopath can do it. If they can't do it, maybe the other hundreds of different types of doctors we have can do it. But when you're in a world, when you're in a place where you have nothing, it's amazing how desperate you can be. And many of us have been there in different areas of our lives. When it's either financially or health-wise, you've tried everything. And then you realize when you are desperate and you turn to God full-heartedly, how he moves. And it's amazing what our desperation will do. Francis Chan goes on to say, how can the Bible promise things we've never experienced in real life? But are you willing to consider that the Bible is accurate and the church has domesticated us to a point where we doubt our power? But are you willing to consider that the Bible, the Bible is more accurate and that it's us when it comes to the power of God. Because here's the thing. If you don't think that God still heal, hears or heals people, then you're questioning the, the power of the scriptures. You're questioning the promises of God. And I know so many of us, if I started to challenge you on what this said, you would get so upset. And I wouldn't, trust me, I believe in this. But what is more accurate? If God says that he still heals today, if God still, if I believe that God will still do the same things, then we should be seeing salvations all the time. Could it be us? Hypothetically, could it be me? Could it be you? If we stop and think for a minute why God isn't transforming our country, Maybe it's not our government. Maybe our government's not as bad as what we think it is. Maybe there's just not enough Christians to influence them. See, I can't get upset with my neighbor. Do you know that I've still talked to people today, and this is the society we live in, that don't know who Jesus is? This is our world. And we can get all upset and be like, I can't believe how bad our world's got. They don't even know who Jesus is. Have you told them? I really believe, and I've said it so many times, that I am where I am in my house so that my neighbors hear from, about Jesus Christ, not from the news, not from a pamphlet, not from a booklet, not from a radio, not from an internet, but from my mouth. And that's why I live there. That's why you don't live right beside me. That's why you live where you live. Think about it. Think about how far apart we live. Some of you live beside each other, but maybe that's because you need double the strength in your neighborhood. But if you think about it, even if you live on the same street, there's houses in between you. God has spread us out intentionally so that we can impact people's lives. See, the difference, too, in the New Testament church, the biggest difference, I believe that one of the reasons they saw so much happening is because they were actually anticipating 
being persecuted. We think we're being persecuted today. Acts 17 to verse 40, it talks about the disciples being arrested so many times and they even get flogged and they're getting beaten. But verse 41 says, the apostles left the Sahedron rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Do you know how upset we were last this summer when we weren't able to apply for government grant because we'd have to check a box that we disagree with and we couldn't believe the government would do that and we were all upset about it. And I agree, like, trust me, I don't like it either. But there is an aspect that we are supposed to get persecuted. If I am living the way God has asked me to live, I will get persecuted. And they actually considered it, they were rejoicing because they were worthy of being persecuted. Maybe if we're not getting persecuted, maybe we're not worthy of it. Does that ever shift your mind? Does that shift the way you think that we are, would be worthy? Think about it now. When you read this, read what James says. When James says, consider it pure joy in all trials. Do you realize that maybe James was talking that he considered it pure joy because he was worthy of the persecution? Maybe nobody criticizes your Christian walk because they don't know you're walking a Christian life. I never want to find out that my neighbors didn't know I was a Christian. Because I'm starting to realize that there's friends of mine who don't know Jesus who leave just as early as I do every Sunday morning. The difference is they go play hockey, I come to church. And so my neighbors might not even know where I'm going. Do we know? Acts 28, verse 1 to 10 says this. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta, and the islanders showed their, us unusual kindness. They built a fire and walked on us all because it was raining and cold. This is after Paul was a prisoner on a ship. The storm was so bad that it crashed ashore. So I don't know about you, but Paul's being persecuted pretty good. In prison, shipwrecked. Then he's helping. He gathered a pile of brushwood and he put it on the fire. A viper driven out by the heat fastens itself on his hand. How many people right now would just be going to the Lord? Seriously? Right? <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been shipwrecked before. I haven't. But being a prisoner would be one thing. Being shipwrecked would be another. And then just as I'm trying to get warm because I was in the sea soaking wet and I'm trying to start a fire just to get warm, a viper jumps out of the wood and bites me. I don't know about you, but at that moment, I would probably be looking up to heaven going, seriously? When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, this is how good it's got a grip, it's just hanging there. They said to each other, this man must be a murderer, for though he escaped the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off, which I think is hilarious, into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. 
But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Do you see that under persecution, if we respond correctly, people's mindsets of who we are will change? I'm not saying you're supposed to represent a god. But if you respond differently, they will see there's something different about you. There was an estate nearby and it belonged to that dude, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dis... That one. Paul went in to see him and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways and when we were ready to sail... They furnished us with supplies we needed. Paul was invited to this guy's house to pray for his father because they knew there was something different. Do you wonder sometimes? I don't know about you, but I watch Paul's life. And in this situation, he was a prisoner. He was shipwrecked. All of that wasn't enough. That was just to get him there. That was just to get him there. Can you imagine... You start to think about your trials differently. What if your trial is just moving you in the right direction to get you to the place you needed to be? And once you're in that place, all of a sudden something else happens. The snake bites him. The snake bit him to draw attention to him, to show there was something different. And because there was something different, he was invited into a place where God could use him and change that whole place. What is our persecution doing? Does it look different? Should we look at it and actually consider it joy? Philippians 1.29 says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. We're actually supposed to. Now the promises of God. John 14.11-13 says, Believe in me, and I say that I am the Father. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works that themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these. Because I am going to the Father, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. What if Jesus is telling the truth that greater things you will do? What if Paul is telling the truth in Hebrews 13, 8? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What if this is all true? Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. His power is already at work in us, far more than we can ask or think. So as I challenge you this morning, far more. We've been made for far more than we can even think or ask for. Hebrews 10, 24 says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. When we come together today, when we come together and meet each other, whether it's on the street or in church, we're supposed to spur one another on, spur us on to greater things, spur us on to the things that God has called us to. Encourage one another to pray for miracles and salvations, to share the gospel and to pray with people in a store and on the street. We have been made for more. I want you to 
ask this question to yourself. How exciting would our lives be if we encourage one another in the things of God more than we evaluated? How exciting would our lives be if we encourage one another in the things of God more than we evaluated? I encourage you, let's stop living in a zoo and get out and seek out what is more, what God has called us to. Because we've all, all of us have been made for more. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for the privilege and the honor to come, Lord. And I do pray that, Father, in the midst of it, we know that you're moving us towards something. And so that, Father, everyone in this room, I pray for just this stirring, this passion inside of us for more, Father God. More of you, but, Father, knowing that we've been made for more, that you've called us to do more, that it's not just coming here on a Sunday morning, but, Father, it's living for you every day. And so, Lord, I just pray for a stirring in the house of the gifts and the stirring just to know you more, Father God. And so, Lord, guide us and lead us. Lead us to the person you want us to speak to this morning. Lead us to the person you need us to engage with this week, Father God, and let us see you move in the middle of the week, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message, Bethel Church Podcast. We hope that it's blessed you and encouraged you, and that you come back and check out next week's message as well.